Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen Elvis. Yes. When I say we, I mean you. <laughs> you slept through a lot of it. I slept through you? a lot of it. And it's not, I don't think it's really the film's fault because I was enjoying it until I mm. fell asleep. I was just tired. And there's a lot of film to sleep through. It's two hours and 39 minutes long. Mm. So I didn't realise how long it was before yes. we you know, found out at the end. You said it felt longer even. It did. I mean, I'm a huge Elvis fan. I, you know, I loved him. He's a childhood thing of mine. You know, I had I measured moments of my life in relation to like when he died and things like that. I mean, I remember exactly where I was when he died. So, so I'm a big fan. But still, I, I felt this film was long. Sure. Yeah. Um. I mean, I I fell asleep. He becomes a star early on, you know, with Colonel Tom Parker. And I saw up to that bit, and I was really enjoying it. You know, for one thing, the film begins in this kind of great non-chronological fashion, which starts off with Colonel, Tar- uh, Colonel Tom Parker's on his deathbed, played by Tom Hanks, and um, he's kind of remembering back, you know. And so it gives the film licence to start off by finding interesting moments. Mm-hmm. And, then, and you get a flashback within a flashback, so you go back to the moment that he meets Elvis, you know, they follow him to this, uh, to a stage show that he's playing because p- people have heard him on the radio, they're interested, he thinks there's something in this, it's this white guy playing black music, you know, yeah. that's, the, that's the reason he uh, becomes interested. And then when, you know, you think you're going to see the scene of the meeting, he sees him around the back, no, you're going to further flashbacks, you know, now we get the kind of Elvis's childhood, you know, yes. so, and, and the actual introduction of Elvis, of Austin Butler as Elvis, really takes a very long time it kind of it, he doesn't get i don't think a single moment where it's him there's a lot of you see him from the back you see him just out of focus you see him in the mm. background you know they're just building up this this silhouette of elvis you get a lot and then basically they build up to this moment of his crotch jiggling yeah and and Lurman isn't afraid to just focus on the crotch right like you know it, it, the whole beginning i thought was dazzling yeah and, and i was thinking i don't care what people say i love this right like you know because it begins just the design of the credits and so on. It, I thought it was just dazzling, right? I loved it. Um, and, you know, the imagery was, like, fantastic. The editing was, like, kind of really rhythmic. I even kind of changed my mind about Tom Hanks because, you know, when I saw the trailer, I thought, oh, my God, that accent is just terrible. It's going to destroy the film. Mm. And actually, as I was watching the film, I didn't mind, I didn't mind it at all. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't. Um, so, I think my problems with the film begin after that, because I feel we don't really learn anything about Elvis. Well, I certainly didn't. You'll have to tell me what happened. Well, I mean, kind of, you know, what happens is is basically just like a series of highlights of his career, you know, that everybody knows, you know, uh, the going into the army, mm-hmm. uh, the a series of bad Hollywood films... You know, the residency in Vegas, you know, the world satellite performance, mm-hmm. you know, and then you go on to his death, right? Um, the marriage to Priscilla. Um, I mean, I feel, you know, like it's just a series of highlights. I don't feel I understand Elvis any more than what I did before. You feel like you're watching his Wikipedia page having been filmed. Yeah, yeah. I, I do feel that, actually. Um, I mean, it's less painful than it would have been because... Butler is so extraordinary as Elvis. He really is. Um, and because 
the music is Elvis singing, right? And it's wonderful, you know. But I felt, I didn't get a sense that I understood what drove him musically. Uh, you know, you do get a sense of him as a performer, that he loves performing and he loves engaging with an audience. Mm. Um, there are moments where the film tries to indicate that he's got some integrity as a performer, you know, but... Well, but that's clearly belied by the facts, right? Like, I mean, he recorded a lot of junk, right? Mm. Uh, and ostensibly that was because Colonel Parker wanted the publishing, mm. right? So whoever didn't give him the publishing, obviously didn't record him. Well, that leaves you with very limited... You're not, you're not recording the best stuff if you're not writing it yourself. And he was a performer, you know, he wasn't a, really a writer. So um, I felt that I didn't learn very much about him, and I also felt I didn't learn very much about Colonel Parker that I didn't know, yeah? Mm. You know, so he was someone who had sneaked in the, into the country, who didn't have a passport, who pretended to be a colonel, you know, but he was really just like a carny, uh, uh, you know, uh, con man, basically. Um, now, you know, what the link between him and Elvis was, the film claims, you know, that obviously they're successful together. Well, Yes, I mean, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, with a different person, that wouldn't have been enough, because how much success would you need, right? Like, you, you know, you'd hope that someone would also want to do good stuff, and, and clearly Elvis wanted to do good stuff, mm. and he regretted it. So why didn't, why didn't he? I mean, you could see why the Colonel Parker wouldn't want to, you know, he'd go where the money was, right? Yeah. Uh, and there are a whole series that is dramatized in the... Um, setting up of the Christmas special, which turns out how Elvis wanted it, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than how Colonel Top Parker wanted it. I saw that bit. Yeah. <laughs> Just great. I, I fell asleep when he was becoming a star, and then I woke up and he's meeting the band that I think would then become his band. He's on the Hollywood sign, and he's saying, I need Those you. are his producers. Those oh. are the producers of the television show, okay. which are hot young producers. There you are. That's what I mean. Thank you. He's meeting them, right? Yes. Um, and, uh, and he's saying stuff like... Um, I've been to war for this country. This country took my mother, and I'm like, "Fuck! How much did I miss?" You know. And then I fell asleep, and there's lots more that I, yeah, you know, I thought that was going to be towards the end of the movie or something. I don't know. There's so much more, but um, I did see that, and it's interesting actually. The thing about about the the link between him and Colonel Parker, there's a shot early on where he's um, he's in the the carnival with him. And it's still such and such snow. I forget the guy's mm. name. Hank Snow. Mm -hmm. It's still his show, and yeah. Elvis is like gradually growing in um, popularity and prominence mm. over Hank Snow. And there's a shot of the carnival, which has a geek in the background, a poster for a, like a mm. bit of signage for a geek, which we've talked about before on the on the podcast mm. for um, Nightmare Alley, mm. the old and new versions. And it's deliberate. It racks focus, and you you see the sign, then you see Elvis, and like that is that is the connection for, for Tom Parker at least. That is a connection going up all the way up to when he's in Vegas mm. and he's losing it on stage and kind of ranting at Colonel Parker. This is once he's found out kind of the truth about him um, and how much money he's taken from him and so on. That you know I'm caught in a trap. You've kept me here in this gilded cage or something like yeah. along those lines. You know, so I, and and that's it. Like I think if the question is then. Why didn't he leave? Why didn't he do something else? Well, the geek can't leave. You know, the geek's know. addicted. Well, but, you know, to think of Elvis as a geek is a bit too much. 
I think, you know, because he is the talent. He had all the power. Mm-hmm. Like, performers always have all the power. They could say, no, I'm not performing. I mean, yeah. you know, someone like Judy Garland, who was a victim also. I mean, she ended up with no money and her money was all stolen or, or something. You know, but you didn't fuck around with her because if she was in a mood, she just wouldn't go on stage and then you lose all your money, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's it's not as if Elvis didn't have a lot of power in that relationship. Mm-hmm. But the, the film makes it seem as if he had none. Mm-hmm. You know, so... So, so, so I, I don't, I don't get that. Um, I mean, this is an interesting film because shot by shot, it looks smashing, I think. Mm. You know, there are really some really innovative visual things, right? Um, you know, the scenes in Las Vegas with all the lights kind of slightly out of focus, like mm. it's very expressive compositions and, you know, and, and design of shots. So you could see the work and the intelligence that's gone beyond that. But it is a very surface intelligence. I mean, I think it's a film, you know, that to me has no depth, right? Like, I just don't, I mean, you know, you were saying about the Wikipedia page, but in fact, I have read Last Train to Memphis. I've read lots on on Elvis. Like, you know, the film doesn't really convey anything that you didn't already know. And it also doesn't make you feel it. So what I felt, what I did feel at the beginning Mm. was how sexy and dangerous Elvis was, right? You know, all of those scenes at the beginning are terrific for that, right? Um, As soon as he goes to Germany and comes back, I I don't get it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he had a 15-year career as a top star, as a million... You know, he was making the same amount of money as Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or more, right? Um, so, kind of, why did he consent to those movies? Like, you know, clearly the movies meant a lot to him. He wanted to be a film star. You know, is it just because the first one he did without singing wasn't successful? I mean, that can't be enough, <laughs> you know? I mean, kind of, all artists have successes and, and failures. He, you know, he had successes before. I mean, I, I just I just feel that psychologically it's not illuminating. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think sociologically it's also not illuminating. You know, I mean, Elvis is. You know, I think maybe kind of, well, you know, some people would now say it's Sinatra, but for me, Elvis is the presence of 1950s America, i.e. a post-war America, you know, that is a a beacon to the world, a beacon of democracy and Mm. social justice and prosperity and social inclusion. And, yeah, kind of, you know, it is America at its height, where kind of people still believe in the idea of America, you know, not only inside but outside. So, you know, and he, he kind of represents the youth culture of that. Right, mm-hmm. so it would be kind of interesting to see how that deteriorates into Vietnam and the, the Kennedy assassinations and Malcolm X and, you know, Martin Luther King assassinations, mm-hmm. which are all mentioned, mm-hmm. but which are not used, I don't think, to illuminate what Elvis symbolizes mm-hmm. or who Elvis was. You know, all you get is his powerlessness in relation to it. Yeah, he can't perform at the funeral because the colonel says no. Well. <laughs> and in fact, what you know, I think it's Mahalia Jackson. So as well, you know, aren't you a man? Can't you make your own decision about, you know, 
mm. what you know you are like yeah mm. and actually so you get a sense that Elvis feels he can't for his image or whatever but why he feels he can't is I still don't understand it so maybe I missed bits of the film but I was awake throughout it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it does it does feel like it's kind of flattening um, details in order to fit its own project of of that geek thing mm-hmm. you know this is it's staying this is what Elvis was and this is who the colonel was but it's not that simple it's just no not that and in fact in if you life. think of the geek in Nightmare Alley it's people who have nothing to lose yeah it's down and out alky drug addicts yeah and let them get themselves get exploited because they have nothing else to lose I mean Elvis is a young man in full of talent and bloom and sexuality and you know interests yeah like you know he's going to all the black clubs and meeting all these people who are doing exciting things that he loves mm-hmm. right so you know why would he become a geek to a yeah. carney barker right like uh, that that thing doesn't hold up to me well i mean the thing i suppose the thing about the geek is that the geek also doesn't intend to become a geek the geek is drawn into it by someone who knows what they're doing who plies them with the drugs gives them what they need and you mm. know so um which i'm not saying you know I, I still don't think that really fits but that is kind of um you know, what Colonel Tom Parker offers to Elvis is the stardom that he seeks and craves. And, what, well, uh, actually, that's not, craves isn't the right word, because early on, he's, he's a very honest, kind of earnest young man who just wants to play his music to people. That really is kind of the way he comes across. Yes. And um, uh, But the thing is, Colonel Parker is promising him that opportunity. Mm. Um, I mean, it, you know, there, there are other kind of predatory... Relationships between all of them, managers, well, yeah, um, oh. uh, managers and talent, and um, they don't come from nowhere, and you never mean to get into them as the kind of victim half of it. So I can see how it's just trying to play that card, right, and play that plot kind of note. But the fact that the film is playing it doesn't mean that it's true of real life, basically. No, but I mean, whether it's true in real life is in a way less interesting to me than how it makes sense dramatically within the film. Okay, yeah, yeah. right. And so, for example, that moment where at the end or near the end where Elvis collapses and the colonel says, you know, do whatever it takes to get him on stage. Mm. I didn't understand it, you know, because, you know, part of what you've been thinking is, yes, the colonel is manipulating him and, you know, he's this meal ticket and so on, you know. But this is somebody who he's looked after since he was a kid of 18 or 17 or what, yeah, a teenager, mm. right? So that there was no, that there's no feeling that he would be willing to kill, even if it was just his golden goose, mm. right, to get him on stage. I mean, that felt like dramatically didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I don't. I, there was nothing along the lines of like, like if he doesn't play tonight, we lose such and such. Exactly. You know, which would provide a, an incentive you could believe. It's just he needs to play because he plays, and that's mm. what he does. And, and you're right, you could even look at it in the selfish sense and go, you know, I risk killing him for this show tonight, which means I can't make any more money off him if I yeah. do. And he doesn't even think about it that way. It is just pure villainy. Yeah. And it's cartoonish and, and don't, don't, feel, don't feel right, don't feel plausible. It didn't feel plausible. Um, so I want to talk about Austin Butler a bit. Because okay. we should, you know, I think we need to say more than just he's wonderful, though he is. Something that I think he really gets about Elvis that I love is is the sincerity with which he expresses love. Mm. You know, one of my, I think like my... I do like Elvis. I'm not like a the mag fan of him, but um, they. I think he had 30 number one 
hits in the UK because they released a CD with them all. I bought that years ago. Mm. I listened to it a lot. Um, so like I'm, you know, I may have only played the hits, but I know mm. the hits. And an era, maybe the era that I like the most of Elvis is in his later years when he's playing Vegas and he's bigger. Because the thing is, he's this monster of a man, but he's still singing the most beautiful ballads. And it's this, there's this contrast between those two things that I, I adore. Mm. And here, Austin Butler's Elvis has, whenever he's saying, I love you, whenever he's expressing that, whenever he's singing his ballads, and when it's and when he's young, well, it is Austin Butler singing. When he's older, it's Elvis's voice. Mm. I believe it every moment. You know, I get, I feel the sen- the sincerity of the sentiment coming out of him. He's wonderful. So, but I want to, you know, I think he's wonderful in his movements, right? Like you really get the sexual attraction and dynamism, and you know the the danger that his 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 gestures, yeah, evoke. And also, you know, his his face. Like, he's someone who's very sexually knowing, yeah? So, you know, he's polite, he's good, he's earnest, but he loves sex, yeah? And mm. sex is fun, and it's great. And you, you know, that was Elvis, and that is really dynamically conveyed by Butler. Um, but the point about the ballads is an issue with me, because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I love most about Elvis is Elvis singing ballads. There are almost none in the film. And he's got, like, a beautiful baritone voice, Elvis, singing ballads. You know, a really rich, deep voice. Yeah, and and really fluid. It can go, you know, high and it's, it's controlled. And he's really, really marvelous. And the film really focuses mostly on rock songs or what I would call power ballads. Yeah, like <laughs> In the Ghetto, we hear at the end, right, and things like that. But not, you know, not not the ballads proper or... You know, we hear a lot about Christmas. Well, one of the best Christmas albums of all time is Elvis kind of singing Christmas. Yeah? Mm. And a lot of those are ballads. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, a lot of Christmas songs are slow songs. Yeah? Mm. Um, so the film never slows down. Right? <laughs> and that's typical Baz Luhrmann. Right, yeah. everything has to be razzmatazz all the time. Yeah. Well, you were saying earlier, you know, it's a film with no depth. I'm thinking, yeah. Well, productions. No, because I think Gatsby has depth, you know, um, and I think Romeo and Juliet has depth, and it has like a kind of a visual razzmatazz, mm-hmm. but it's not at the expense of depth. And actually, in Gatsby, like the visual razzmatazz is what gives it depth, right? And but here, I think it doesn't, mm-hmm. right? You know, so I appreciated the rich. Um, soundtrack design yeah that mixes you know different types of sound you know like the kind of you know obviously a lot of the mixing in of older songs you know particularly not by Elvis yeah Mm -hmm. are mixed into like you know I don't know rhythm and blues hip-hoppy type arrangements yeah yeah there's some modern music that can find its way in but it's always mixed with with the Elvis songs yeah so um which I really enjoyed. I mean, I thought it was brilliant mixing. I love that too. But as for the purpose, other than giving it a level of energy it might not otherwise have to a modern audience. Well, I think I think the purpose is to demonstrate the continued influence of that music. Mm. You know, how it is very much with us. And, you know, how Elvis and those early rock and roll people, you know, their presence is in the culture, though it might not be named. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and we hear it all the time without knowing necessarily who to attribute it to. So I was I was okay with that, you know. 
Um, I think what I wasn't okay with and why towards the end I was looking at my watch was just a dramatic thing. The dra- you know, this could have been a film with lots of, you know, different narrative strands, all with tensions, all connected, right? The marriage with Priscilla. You see it start and you see it end. <laughs> why, it's, why it starts, why it ends, you know, mm-hmm. you, you just know that it did because it <laughs> happened in real life. But actually, you don't get any of the sense of the internal dynamics of it. She says at some point that you're sneaking women in. Well, right? well she leaves him and she takes the kid. And she takes the kid. But, you know, how it goes from being a you know, teenager in love to that moment, you have no idea. Yeah. You know, uh, and it could have been done very subtly and economically, you know, the relationship with the father, mm. you know, uh, you have no idea. Uh, so, I mean, I suppose, you know, you, you can bring things, your ex- external knowledge to it, you know, but the film itself doesn't do much with it. His relationship with, the you know, the mafia... The Memphis Mafia. Well, you again, you know of it externally, and you're told these are the guys that you know his cousin, this and you know his whatever, his high school buddy there, and they're always hanging around with him and whatever. And at the end, you realize he spent a lot of money on them, and they're all living off of him. But why? <laughs> yes. What What does he need from them? You know that you know involves putting them all on the payroll and hanging, having them hang around all the time. You can imagine. Actually, it would be good for the film to tell you something. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think um, I think it's one of those films. Actually, I think you put it very well. It's like the Wikipedia version of Elvis's life. You know, it's mm. like you get all the highlights and you know very little analysis, and you know, so you get the bare facts of it, but actually not a rich in you know understanding. No. Or no. indeed an emotional response because. I felt I really responded physically almost, right, to the you know, the first 30 minutes of the film, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was oof, dazzling. I loved it. And then the rest, I was kind of slightly bored by. And then the end, I really disliked. I really disliked those shots of Elvis bloated and, you know. Yeah, they transitioned into real footage of, of Elvis in the last few years of his life when he had those shots... That era that I mentioned where he's large and um, he's super fat. His face is bloated, bloated, bloated. You're seeing him in great close-up. You know, he's singing well, but not... You know, the film would like you to believe that he's singing beautifully, but actually he's not. You know, he's singing okay, right? And you could see he's a great singer. He's modulating and, you know, changing tones and things. But... You know, the voice is not at its best, and he's not at his best. And the camera really makes you see the flab, the fat, the distortions in the face. He almost looks like someone else, yeah. Um, Mm. And I'm thinking, again, what is the purpose of that? Dramatically, right? You know, to say, oh, well, you know, drugs killed him, He, you know, I... You know, <laughs> this geek at his dying <laughs> moments, but there's something kind of obscene about it. I thought. Okay. Yeah, I, I think the thing is that it doesn't have a dramatic function. It has a function that you know, films, um, biopics often end. So, but particularly, particularly music biopics often end with a transition to the real person. Mm. We can remember them. You know, we can honor them and so on. But because you're transitioning from the end of his life to a real, real life end of his life. You're not seeing him at his best. 
Um, and then the film goes into a short montage of clips and shots from earlier in his life when he was younger and sexier and all, you know the rest of it and, and um, a different kind of star, I guess. Mm. Um, but it is bookended by by this chubby Elvis having the microphone held for him. He's really uh, deformed. <laughs> you know, like the so because actually, if you look at his body, his body is not so overweight. It's not like obese, right? But his face is really puffed up and distorted, right? Yeah, you know. Uh, so I, I think it's. I thought it was unpleasant to see and uncalled for, and I thought one of the ironies of the film is that the cliche of Elvis's career is that he was fabulous and dangerous and teen rebellion, gorgeous, blah blah, and then he went into the army and poofed, he ceased to matter in the culture, right? Hmm. Uh, and the film follows that trajectory. I mean. Knowingly or not, because the film ceases to be interesting or charged. <laughs> yeah, as soon as he comes out of the army, right? I, in my view. Yeah. Right? Which, which is a pity, right? Because I think it would have been good to explore those other areas yeah, of his career and his life particularly, right? It makes the argument that he was still, you know, I mean, particularly with the one and a half billion people watching that satellite show around the world you know makes the point that you know this he only he could kind of bring this audience it but but i i, I did get what you mean like the film the film is interesting and alive and dangerous and then isn't after yeah. and the the idea of Elvis's career is that his career really ceased to matter mm. as a cultural force you know he still had hits you know and then in the late 60s he continued to have hits and of course you know, he continued to be big in Las Vegas. But, you know, to be big in Las Vegas in the uh, contours of American show business means that you're big in the mall or the toilet. I mean, you know, to be big in American culture means, you know, you're starring in movies and yeah. you're having number one hit after number one hit and changing fashion and, you know, music. Yeah, yeah. I thought about that with, like, Britney Spears. <coughs> like, Britney Spears was the biggest thing in the world when she was young, when she first you know, had her first hits. And then she's playing this Las Vegas residency and has been doing it for God knows how long. And you think, why would I want to see that? Yeah, it does actually feel like, why would I want to see her caged? The whole point of a star like that is to go on tour. And the reason I think to go to Vegas is to see the magicians. You can't rely on them touring. I like the idea of like the, 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 the Vegas magician residency. That makes sense to me. Or, you know, I mean, kind of, you know, when Sinatra and the Rat Pack were doing Vegas, it's because they were doing nightclubs and it was fun and, yeah. you know, they were filming during the day, right? Like, you know, it was glamorous and so on. But now, well, since that period, it does feel, you know, Las Vegas is where, you know, superstars go to die. Like, yeah. you know. You've got Elvis living on the top floor of that hotel where he played. Yeah. It's just like he never has to leave the building. I mean, yeah. it says Elvis leaves the building. The, the film plays that line a few times, mm. but he never has to. He's yeah. just, you know, he goes upstairs, downstairs, back up again. But the other thing is that those residences were only six, six weeks, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. It's a very, um, it's a very unsatisfying It just feels film. like going to the zoo, you know? We're going to Vegas to see some stars. <laughs> it's very interesting, because I saw this documentary with Johnny Holiday, who's a huge, he's like the French Elvis, mm -hmm. you know, an Elvis imitator, but who became just as big in France as Elvis. <laughs> in England um, and his dream was to play Vegas mm -hmm. you know 
and uh, <clears throat> of course he had to fly his audience into Vegas <laughs> because he couldn't sell a ticket in Vegas because nobody knew who he was. Yeah. Uh, Maybe his name was Johnny Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Vegas has a great appeal to certain people, but you know it's also very interesting. I mean, it's very interesting because people like Cher, right? Like in the seventies early 80s when her career was in the doldrums she played Vegas was the big money tickets for them right and mm-hmm. they would be making $200,000 a week in those days which was a lot of money um, but you know as soon as she began making movies again fuck Las Vegas right <laughs> and also if you if you can tour you know you don't need Las Vegas right and it offers you different kinds of uh, freedom you can play stadiums and no Las Vegas is going to pay you as much as a stadium you know mm-hmm. tour well if you can sell a stadium tour you know, because the other thing about Las Vegas is you just want to draw gamblers, right? So actually, the theaters in Las Vegas are very small. Right? Yeah. Um, so you don't have to sell a lot of tickets. You just have to sell a few expensive tickets <laughs> every night, right? Uh, interesting is Beth Midler did it again, you know, when she got to be uh, relatively old and said, you know, she would never do it again after a year that... Um, but anyway... Do they not say in this film, maybe I made this up completely, do they not say... Uh, this is the biggest stage in Vegas. It's been newly built or something like that, yeah, and that's yeah, going to yeah. be Elvis's stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he still do. has, like, a, they're building that status thing into, I guess. But, I know, but, you know, a big stage in Vegas. No, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd be curious to know it was probably a thousand seats or so, or a thousand tables, or, yeah. Should I see if I can find out? Yeah. What was the hotel? The International, I think. But paradoxically, you know, I heard... I read somewhere, maybe in one of the Sinatra books, that though Elvis was a phenomenal success in Las Vegas, mm. he wasn't the casino owner's favorite. Yeah, because basically, Elvis drew in a trash clientele. So he was always sold out, but he didn't bring in the big money gamblers mm. yeah, that someone like Sinatra did, or someone much less famous than Elvis, you know, Wayne Newton or somebody would draw in like, big money, like rich people, yeah, to come and see him. Whereas, you know, Elvis was always the bus brigade, you know? <laughs> Looks like it was 2,000 seats. Okay, 2,000 seats. Yeah, which is sort of, I don't know, hippodrome size? How big's hippodrome? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. No. Where, you know, he could have been selling 50,000 seat stadiums, you know? Mm. Uh, which Elton John and the Stones and people like that in those days were doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, anyway, um, to get back to the film, I kind of, I really wanted to like it. I love the material. I actually love Baz Luhrmann. You know, but this is a film where I think what his critics accuse him of ends up being true. Mm. Yeah, that it's all like flash and no substance. Yeah, fair enough. Well, you know, I like I say, I, I fell asleep after the best bit, and that I can recommend. Okay. Because <laughs> it, it starts so strong. It is. You know? So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm satisfied with what I saw. And, and I was kind of thinking, I would have liked to have seen the rest of it, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be worth really paying much attention to. Um, well, you know, maybe other people feel differently, but I, was, I, I went in really wanting to like it. And I did. The, the first half hour, I think, is pretty dazzling, actually. Uh, and then the rest isn't isn't bad, mm. but I was disappointed. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, let's 
Mm. Leave it at that. So thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for being my Colonel Parker. (laughs) Thank you for being my geek. (laughs) 